Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Green Milk and Lane's Patreon episodes. I am so happy to be able to hang out with my friend Anas Abdulak. Hi, Anas. How are you? Hi. I'm so happy to be here. Like, it's good to be back, as always. I adore hanging out with you, my friend. We've never got to hang out one-on-one -on -one before outside of just random texting. <laughs> That's so true. Yeah. Uh, Anas has been on my show a couple of different times on different episodes and is always just an absolute delight. Uh, Anas, tell people a little bit about yourself, uh, your gender pronouns, where people might know you from. All right. Uh, my name is Anas Abdulhaq. I'm a Syrian writer and artist. Uh, I go by they, them pronouns. And uh, I, 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 I make comic books, <laughs> essentially very sad comic books that also incorporate poetry. Uh, you may know me from Etheris, which just, just came out from Sourcepoint Press uh, on March 22nd. So, you know, it's still very fresh. I'm hoping this, uh, well, you can still get a copy, I guess, if you ask your local comic book shop. And uh, yeah, that's basically it. I have a lot of stuff cooking up that I, you know, NDAs and stuff that I can't talk about, but it's all very exciting. So I'm hopefully, hoping you'll be able to see my name around a lot. I hope so. I hope we see it around lots of places and uh, in escalating bigger projects consistently because you <laughs> are wonderful. I have uh, I've really enjoyed getting to know you as a person. I know you have done podcasting yourself at times and you're one of many creators who, uh, you know, you work the day job so that you can do what you love <laughs> yep. and hope yep. you succeed. So to see your name uh, start getting out there on, on different books and to be known uh, you have a unique and wonderful voice and a unique and wonderful way of storytelling. Um, <laughs> tell people a little bit about your, uh, I mean, you you just talked about, you know, sad stories with poetry, but it's more than that. You uh, you put out very spiritual, deep thinking, metaphysical, you got to pay like really close attention to the art and the way it makes you feel. I love your writing. Tell us a little bit about your style and your format when you're putting things out. Uh, well, so far, like the most most of the stuff that I've been putting out has been really inspired by poetry, by Arabic poetry, to be precise. Um, Arabic poetry has a, such a melodic way to it and a rhyme and rhythm that flows really nicely. And it's something that I don't really find uh, this kind of anything similar to in English. So what I wanted to do when I started writing poetry was incorporate that kind of style into my writing in English. And, um, it, you know, I, I felt like it was it was powerful. It connected, you know, it resonated with a lot of people. And when I started making my comic books, I made two one shots that were self-published, uh, one of which was crowdfunded. And they incorporated those poems, uh, poems that talk about, you know, very abstract things, but also very universal feelings like loss, freedom, family, uh, communities. And those sort of things and you know it, it just it helps me explore these themes it's a very cathartic way to talk about it rather than tackle it head on and poetry allows me to get to get that extra perspective of just like distancing myself from my pain um so most of it was inspired by you know my journey being from syria and having experienced all the things that i have experienced there and things that i still deal with this very day um and yeah, my, my latest one shot, which is Etheris, deals with death and self-loathing and reconciling with your loss and trauma and just tackling those demons head on in order to forgive yourself and find peace. So yeah, <laughs> very dark and heavy stuff, but I, I am venturing into a lighter territory very soon. <laughs> No, I, I I think it doesn't have to be dark and heavy, but it certainly can be that way. And that's one of the beauty, beautiful things about poetry itself. Uh, 
is it is perceived from the eyes of the person uh, reading it, right? So I, th I think when people write poetry, poetry can take a lot of different forms. Uh, there is uh, there is very deep, thinky, heavy, emotional poetry with big, thick words that make you kind of chew on it and pick it apart. And then there's like simple kind of rhyming stanzas where <laughs> where we can where we can put both together. I uh, I myself am a poet. Uh, when I wrote my memoir, Gay Mormon Dad, which I'm currently adapting into a graphic novel format, uh, oh, wow. I, put, I put poetry in between every chapter. And for me, whenever I write poetry, uh, it has to come from a place of there's something stuck in my soul that I need to work out. There's there's some sort of puzzle or identity issue where, that I'm really just have to chew on. And those are the only times I ever write poetry. So I have not written poetry in several years because I'm mm -hmm. really happy. <laughs> when I, well, I'm uh, glad you never <laughs> well, I'm when I, to write poetry. I'm, I'm living in this happy space with a husband that I love and kids that are happy. And I don't feel the need to write poetry. But for many years, I was writing poetry constantly because I had to sort some things out in my soul uh yeah. when i when i read your poetry it's different because it is with pictures <laughs> it is with <laughs> color it's arranged over these deep thinking almost psycho psychedelic uh imagery that really makes me take my time and think i had to read through ethra's three or four times i felt a little different and understood a little bit more each time but also realized I didn't understand at all because your life experiences are so separate from mine. And I think well, that's the beauty of, of portraying poetry in this way. I don't know, should I, tell me some of your thoughts there. I, you know, I wrote Etheris and everything that I wrote, write really in a way that uh, leaves room for interpretation for the reader to like apply the story to themselves, apply the poems to themselves. Uh, I made the ending for Etheris, for example, very ambiguous in a way that you don't really know what to take from it. And I've gotten several responses from people who have read it who all received something completely different from it. And I love that, you know, everybody just sees it in their own separate way and they, you know, apply their experiences and their feelings to it. And it's beautiful. You know, I don't want to, if I wanted to just tell my story um, in a direct way, I guess I would just write a memoir, right? Uh, but for me, this is a way for to express my feelings and express my experiences, but also allow room for people to also, you know, embrace those feelings rather than shun them. Right. Uh, a lot of times we shy away from dealing with these difficult emotions. And I wanted to give room for the, for anyone who reads my work to, 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 to do just that. And when you're in this industry, you have to carve out a unique space for yourself. And you're doing this in a way that other people aren't. And you're working with artists who show your stuff in a very different way as well. Your, your work on Eleuthera Mania, for example. Uh, and when you stack that up next to Ethris, they're completely different projects. But they're similar in that they take me to a space... And I mean, this is an absolute compliment at us. Uh, they take me to a space where maybe I just did mushrooms. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm looking at these beautiful, swirly, wonderful colors and imagery. And uh, it's it's in a space where whenever I'm reading anything, I try to figure out my emotional energy because that dictates how I enjoy it. And you really mm -hmm. do beautiful work. And you've picked some incredible artists so far. Well, I've, I've been just very fortunate to work with really talented people and you know, they, 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 who have understood my vision and wanted to help me tell these stories um, because in a way they, they connected to them as well. You know, Dennis, uh, who worked on Etheris, when by the time I shared the, the poems with him and the whole story, he felt very connected to it because 
he had recently suffered a loss and he felt like it was very therapeutic for him to work on this book and process that in, a, in an artistic way as well. We were just talking before the call started. Uh, my friend Seth Martel, who does the art for the show, uh, just has just put a book out. I, I've put books out. Uh, and and as when you're putting a book out, there's this kind of anticipation. You just give birth to this beautiful thing, uh, brought it into existence. And now you're like, ah, how are people receiving it? And is it out there? And have I done enough to promote it? And what happens next? And there's all this anxiety that comes with it as well. How are you doing with that whole process? Um, well, I, I know for a fact that I did absolutely everything in my power to promote it. Um, you know, I, I worked tirelessly for the two months that we had the book in FOC to just get, you know, people to pre-order it and ask their shops to get it. And, you know, with how little of a reach that I have, I was very fortunate that we achieved a number that I was comfortable with. I felt like was a huge leap from Luthromania or Objects in the Mirror. Like I felt like we it was growth and that's what mattered to me. Uh, as for the reception, most of it has been very positive so far. I did receive a couple of um, bad reactions from people who are like just people that I don't know or aren't familiar with my work, and they just didn't get it. You know, I've you know there's they they threw around words like confusing or convoluted. One of them was was particularly <laughs> uh, you know it stung me. It was like someone who had said that that I have like a basic understanding of high school poetry and I throw around some fancy words and I was like, Oh, okay. <laughs> We're getting personal. <laughs> I used to teach college and at the end of every class, the students would have to leave their reviews. And I remember one particular semester I had 30 students and literally 29 of the reviews were like a plus a plus best instructor I've ever had. Amazing. And the 30th <laughs> review was like, Chad isn't fit to teach five-year-olds. He was ridiculous oh. and he treated us like babies and I hate him. And I was like, geez. <laughs> and it's always those that stuck that stuck that stick with you more than the, the the positive ones. That's the only I mean, it didn't bother me. I found it more amusing. Uh, <laughs> but uh, but yeah, we, we you know, people that's what I say about poetry a little while ago is people perceive things in very different ways based on where they are coming from in their lives. It's uh <laughs> exactly. Who read Etheris, they probably just picked it up for the cover alone because it's gorgeous and they had no idea what they were walking into. Sure. So I feel like yeah, there's a lot you need to preface before jumping into Etheris because it's not a breezy read and it's not <laughs> one that you just, you know, pick up and read it in five minutes and put it down, you know? Right, right. <laughs> it's a beautiful book and I'm thrilled to hear you have more work lined up. I, uh, I, I love hearing that and I can't wait to see what you have coming out, man. I'm, I'm grateful to call you a friend and I'm also a big fan. Uh, so, oh. so Keep it up. I'm looking forward to those announcements. Right back at you. I can't wait to see your graphic novel come to life. I think it's going to be a very, you know, unique read because of your experiences. And I, you know, I've always been intrigued by the, you know, the Mormon light, you know, the Mormonism in, in general as a, as a society more so than a religion and how the, you know, because it's, it's a lot of it feels similar to what I experienced growing up in Islam. Uh, the strict yeah, rule, yeah. these things like that. So I'm interested to see your take on your experience and how it's going to be, you know, unfold as a graphic novel. You know, I have a number of uh, I have a number of creative ventures out there over the last 15 years. My Marvel work, I, I've I've actually published a graphic novel before. It's called The Mushroom Murders, uh, which I love. And the I'm one that was adapted to a stage play. Yes, of course yeah, I was, it was an opera. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, and then I, uh, I I wrote my memoir uh, a little while back. It's called Game Over and Dad. 
Uh, and it's 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 told in two parts. The odd chapters start at my birth, and the even chapters start at my coming out. And oh, they wow. they both kind of move forward chronologically. It's interspersed by poems, and there's weird themes in the story, kind of you know from birth to rebirth. Uh, the the one life is very entrenched in this kind of uh, very closed off conservative belief system that made me hate myself, and the other one's learning to love myself by leaving that, but still claiming the parts of my identity that matter to me. I'm I'm actually really proud of it. And uh, we were just talking about when you put poems with pictures, it changes things. So. Um, I've got an artist working on the book and the images start starting to come in. And it's fascinating to see my life story interpreted by someone else's visual experiences, if that makes oh, sense. Yeah. Uh, it's a really fascinating thing. This project is obviously very personal to me, but I'm uh, I'm excited to see what happens. The Mushroom Murders, I thought would take me a year to publish and it took me four. So as I'm talking about this, I have no idea how long it's going to be before this book comes out, but I'm really Comics excited. is the slowest industry I've ever been a part of. Like I, I've, you know, I've dabbled in a lot of things and nothing is as slow as comics. It's just because it's a lot of moving pieces and everybody has to take their time to really like put their work in, right? Um, uh, comics took a while. The one that took me, the one that uh, that that kicked my ass even more was uh, I made a documentary, and that one, jeez, oh. that one was so long. It took <laughs> so long. <laughs> uh, but uh, what, were you, what were you saying about Etheris? Etheris, we began production on it, like officially. I, you know, I hired Dennis, and we started working on the art in January of 2022, and it just came out. So it was over a year long of just waiting, and you know. Uh, biding my time uh, you know chewing my nails until the book was ready well oftentimes when you get a production company who's offering money and hires the artists it moves pretty quickly but even then it can move slow but when you're funding it yourself when you're paying yeah. an artist when you're tossing out pitches to companies and the artists often have day jobs just like we do and of it just course. it takes time yeah it's a it's not a quick path for most people uh, well, I love I love sharing creatively with other people who are creative. So this is fun. But let's delve into our, our episode for today. I've yes, got a please. long list of characters that I want to cover on this Patreon channel. Again, the focus is uh, characters that don't often get the attention. Uh, and it's kind of like I'm writing a handbook entry, but we're doing it with, uh, with voices and friends, <laughs> which is fun. Uh, and, and us and I were tossing some ideas back and forth. And you very enthusiastically... Uh, landed on the character Alpha, the ultimate mutant. Uh, tell me, uh, I know, uh, I know, you got to read his whole history at this point, which is not very much. But tell me what appealed to you about this particular character. I, you know, I, I, I've always been drawn to obscure villains that turn good in a sense, and I felt like that was Alpha's arc in a way, in, in his very short appearances <laughs> and reading his defenders' uh, issues. I felt very connected to him. I, I really like the character. I think there's a lot to explore there. And, you know, I'm, I'm saying this right now. If I ever get to do like a Marvel book with some cosmic characters, I am bringing him back. Like I need to see where the story goes, where this character goes. I think there's a, lots of room for exploration because the more he uses his powers, the more he evolves. And I would love to see where that takes him. He has been off in space with his boyfriend, the futurist, for decades. <laughs> well, well you know, we... we... <laughs> <laughs> I think that's a perfect story, to be honest. Yes. Yeah, we'll talk about that in a little while. So uh, Alpha was created in 1974 by uh, by Len Wein, and uh, the initial artist on the book was uh, Salbishema. Uh, this is a time at Marvel where there was a lot of creative talent happening. They were bringing in new voices, 
editorial control was loosening a little bit. We see a lot of crazy stories coming out of this time. Uh, we're getting into the era of like, you know, uh, Adam Warlock and uh, Howard the Duck, you know, like things started getting pretty <laughs> wild at Marvel. And uh, Len Wein created Wolverine in this same year. We're getting ready to come up on Giant wow. Side X-Men number one. So like, it's just a time where, uh, where things are really shifting around. And we're going to get here on my podcast. In the next several months, we're covering X-Men The Hidden Years. But then we're going to be in this like early 70s creative boom era where like Beast turns blue and Magneto does a bunch of crazy shit. Like it's it's an era of X-Men history that I think a lot of people aren't very aware of. Uh, um, do you have any comments on Marvel in the early 70s? <laughs> uh, you know, some of my favorite characters debuted in the 70s. Like I believe Hellcat was, you know, became a part of Marvel in the 70s. Patsy mm -hmm. Walker. Yes. Uh-huh. Yeah, and like you know, they they did Moon Knight and Werewolf by Night in the seventies as well. So I think it, you know, as you said, it's a creative boom, and I'm excited to see how the X Men evolve in the seventies because while I've read a good chunk of the sixties comics, uh, because growing up that was all I had access to, I did skim a around a lot in the seventies because you know it was just too much for me, and then I landed on the nineties and I continued from there. Sure. Before Giant Size X-Men number one, the X-Men were occupying a space where they were guest stars able to be used in other titles. None of them have any, had any featured space. Uh, eventually, the Champions launched where we get to see like Angel and Iceman. And we, we saw Beast join the Avengers. And, you know, there was some, some stuff that got used. But for a while there, uh, you know, you might see them in an issue of Marvel Team-Up or... They're the background characters in Captain America or the Avengers, or they team up with Spider-Man in a particular issue. Magneto fights the Inhumans at one point. Uh, you know, Beast gets the feature role in Amazing Adventures for a period of time. But there's just, uh, it's kind of just random content that you have to just stack up because there was no through line for these characters at that point until, until uh, Giant Size X-Men came along. And this is so one. How long was the gap between Giant Size X Men and the last issue of X Men? So it, it's it's about a five year period, give or take. Wow. The X Men ended in early 1970, and Giant Size X Men came across or came around a few years later. Uh, so there was a period of time where there just wasn't much happening for the book. Uh, Giant Size X Men debuted in May 1975, mm -hmm. and the book we're going to read today takes place in summer of 1974. So. We're still up uh, a little ways before that. Now, Magneto, prior to this issue, uh, he fought the Inhumans in Amazing Adventures. He fights the Avengers uh, in a series of stories that revolves around the Sentinels. And uh, he fought the Fantastic Four with Namor. Uh, so he has a bunch of kind of wild uh, stuff. And we'll, again, we're going to get to uh, all of that in my podcast. But uh, Magneto here, uh, this is his first appearance after Avengers number 111, I believe. Uh, and that's referenced in this story. But he's in a very dark purple costume with like deep red briefs, helmet, and cape. Uh, and he has reformed the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants. This is the infamous storyline where at the end of it, Magneto gets turned into a baby. Yes. <laughs> In 1991, Chris Claremont, uh, when the second volume of X-Men was launched, Chris Claremont revealed that after he was turned into a baby, he was given to Moira McTaggart, who then kind of messed with his DNA. And then eventually Davin Shikari or Eric the Red comes to Earth and reverts Magneto and the Brotherhood back into adults. 
And in that story in 91 is when Magneto has figured out that Moira messed with him and he's super pissed and wants to kill her. Uh, it's also it's also referenced at that time that prior to Magneto turning into a baby, his powers were driving him a little bit mad. And they've used that to explain why he was so evil back then sometimes. The other thing that's really big here is if you've ever read Uncanny X-Men number 200, it's the infamous trial of Magneto's story. Uh, oh, yeah. There's a defense attorney on the world stage that basically argues anything Magneto did prior to being turned into a baby should be forgotten. If we're going to trial, it needs to be everything that's happened afterward because that was a fresh beginning on his life and, and they agreed in the courts. So it's, it was kind of a way for Claremont to separate out the old evil Magneto and then start with this new heroic Magneto that he was about to put in charge of the X-Men. Uh, let me hear your thoughts just on that much. See, I, I always loved Magneto being more of an anti-hero kind of figure. Uh, I always, again, as I love, as I told you, I love it when villains turn good. So like Emma Frost, Magneto, some of my favorite characterizations is when they become good, but they're still battling that internal struggle of just wanting to do things a certain way, their way, which doesn't really align with the X-Men's uh, core moral beliefs of like good and justice. So I, I love that. But I had and no idea it took so long for him to un unbaby himself. I thought it was going to be like <laughs> just a, a, a last page gag that would get fixed the next issue. <laughs> I mean, it didn't last very long, and it wasn't until later that they revealed these retcons about Moira. Fucking Moira McTaggart, man. <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, most people, I think, know that Magneto was changed into a baby at one point if they're Claremont fans. But most people don't know this story. And this is the story where that happens. It's in Defenders number 15 and 16. And Alpha the Ultimate Mutant is the guy that changed Magneto into a baby. So we'll get there in just a minute. That's kind of this character's one lasting impact on the Marvel Universe because otherwise he's a pretty minor forgotten, you know, throwaway character that's like the answer to a weird trivia question somewhere. Yeah. Uh, two more things to say about Magneto before we start this review. In Roy Thomas's X-Men Avengers crossover, which we've covered on my show, right around X-Men 44 and Avengers 53, Magneto's uh, reformed the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants with Toad, Scarlet Witch, and Quicksilver, and he stormed the United Nations and uh, attacks them basically, and then gives a public speech about how he wants a nation for mutants, which is gonna be a story we see revisited here. Uh, did you remember that piece about Magneto's history with the United Nations? I, I saw that, you know, there, he, there was reference that he had already attacked the United Nations once, but I had no idea about what, what, what he did back then. Yeah, it's, uh, it's kind of an interesting- uh, He got his wish. Yeah, yeah, eventually. Much, much <laughs> well, with Genosha and uh and uh Asteroid M. and Asteroid M, yeah. But this is <laughs> this is an era where he seems obsessed with two things. Number one, creating a homeland for mutants. And this is years before Chris Claremont made him the concentration camp survivor, and years mm -hmm. before we know kind of the Israel connections that, that Claremont put on this character. So that's interesting. The second thing he seems obsessed with is creating a race of mutants to serve him. Uh, we've seen him do this a handful of times. Magneto has a weird technology. He was on the Stranger's Planet for a while. We're going to talk about the Stranger today, too. Uh, but he, uh, we know later from retcons with Fabian Nicieza that he had that, uh, that mutant girl Astra bring him a bunch of space tech. Uh, we saw him in uh, the Neil Adams arc in the Savage Land where Magneto was in his creator guise and he used 
equipment to change some of the tribesmen and women there into the Savage Land mutates. Uh, we've also seen him in that adventure I referenced against the Inhumans at this point, which we haven't covered on my show yet. He also uses equipment to create these kind of booger-looking people <laughs> to serve him, and they call him Master. <laughs> so Magneto seems obsessed with this like idea of using technology to create mutants. Uh, he also is very fixated on the idea of a mutant homeland. Uh, so all of that before we even start. Do you have any thoughts on this in us? I, I have a theory regarding the devices that uh, appear in this issue. Yeah, uh, which let's, I will... let's start there, yeah. Okay, so you know, I th- they he found uh, if the if the if the devices were not moved, he found buried devices deep underground in a hole uh, in New Mexico, right? And uh, they, it, it references they... it references that as the Carlsbad caverns, I believe. So yes. Okay. So they look very futuristic, and honestly, to me, they look very eternal, no? Kind of. We actually have reference to where these come from. Uh, yeah, it's, it's revealed in like a later handbook entry. It's not part of the story that we read today. We had writers okay. that really wanted to like tie in all the holes. Uh, so mm-hmm. we, we can open here really quickly. So Magneto uh, was defeated by the Avengers... And then in this issue, we learned that the Avengers didn't <laughs> the Avengers didn't know what to do with him because he's problematic, I suppose. <laughs> and he uh, he was placed in an energy sphere, and they locked him basically underneath the Earth uh, in an area where like the forces would just hold him in place. Uh, and what a, what a terrible fate to give someone. We're going to put you in this like lava prison in an energy (laughs) bubble and, uh, and just keep you there. And apparently according to him, he was trapped there for months until a comet called, uh, Kahutek. And by the way, the comet Kahutek, it's spelled K-O-H-O-U-T-E-K. That's a real comet. It passed by the sun. It passed by the sun in 1973, which would have been super topical when this was written. Oh, wow. the, The comet Kahutek freed Magneto from this prison because it shifted the magnetic forces of the world. He then dug through the earth with Magnesis and wound up in a cavern where he finds a large stash of uh, ancient equipment. Uh, Quote, he says, a cavern containing the ruptured remnants of a civilization that was ancient when Homo sapiens were still living under rocks. He says, I found machines there so alien in concept in design, that even my mind almost reeled at the sight of them. And I found libraries, books written in a language that was surely never of this earth. For a time, I sta- for a time, I stayed in the cavern, deciphering the language, studying the books, until I discovered a secret so spectacular, I could not bear to keep it only to myself. Uh, so wh- what were you going to say? That sounds a lot like Eternal to me. It does. Marvel has a number of crazy races. The Eternals, the Celestials, which is the technology that Apocalypse always uses. Yeah. Uh, there's, there's also the Deviants. Are you familiar with the Deviants? Of or the course. I'm, I'm a huge Eternals fan. And the reason why I said, you know, I want this to be Eternal is because if it is Eternal, then we would be witnessing the first, uh, you know, now if, you, if anyone who's read AXE would be aware that mutants are technically eternals or deviants in a sense. 
Yes. So yes. I think this could be one of the first appearances of mutant mutation as a as a deviation of you know the ge ge the genetics. Absolutely. Uh, connected to the deviants as well are sometimes the Atlanteans and sometimes the Inhumans. Uh, mm -hmm. So there's there's a super villain that's not often used. He fights Thor. He fights Quasar. His name is Maelstrom. Uh, if that sounds familiar. That character. He debuted in Marvel 2 and 1, number 71. Maelstrom is half deviant and half inhuman. And he's cool. obsessed with conquering both races. So there's, mm -hmm. a, there's a reference later in the official handbook of the Marvel Universe Deluxe Edition, number 7, uh, in the Magneto entry that says the equipment he found in this Defenders issue was actually left there by Maelstrom. Okay, but that would make Maelstrom, like, what, thousands of years old? Yeah, Maelstrom's super old. He's connected to, like, the ancient myths of, like, Erishkigal and a bunch of stuff. That's a character for another time. He's complicated. Okay. <laughs> but uh, in that, this is deviant machinery because Maelstrom is half deviant. Is there Erishkigal in the Marvel Universe? Uh, yes, there is. What? <laughs> you know Erishkigal is a Syrian goddess. I did know that, yes. We've never talked and, about like, this. And like spoiler alert, she's literally one of the main characters in my new comic book. <laughs> oh, that's amazing! <laughs> like, what a weird coincidence. <laughs> I'll find references for you for Arishkagul really quickly. So Arishkagul <laughs> is a deviant-related foe who debuts in Thor number two eighty-three in nineteen seventy-nine, uh, and she's in a bunch of Quasar issues. She was recently in Thor: The Deviant Saga. She's a winged woman who's actually really hot. <laughs> she's like a she's like a vampire accurate. lady. She's 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 great. Yeah, look her up when you have time. Uh, I also want to reference in, I believe it's X-Men 17, is when Magneto shows up at the X-Men's house and tries to use the DNA of Angel's parents to create a mutant android army, for those that remember that story. <laughs> so <laughs> we have a long history of Magneto trying to create uh, mutants. And Alpha is kind of the ultimate expression of that before Magneto gets babified. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, are you are you very familiar with the old Defenders comics? I I think I've read a couple of issues or crossovers here and there. I knew the original lineup of what of who it consisted, but my Defenders, you know, uh, my my favorite iteration of the team is the one that you know um, Al Ewing is writing right now. God, it's beautiful. Beyond, yeah, such a good book. Oh my god, and us, this is an absolute compliment, and I genuinely mean it. The The feeling I get when I read Etheris is similar to the feeling I get when I read Defenders Beyond. Oh my god, that's the, that's the biggest compliment you could give me, because Al and like Jeff Lemire are like my biggest two inspirations. And well, Javier Rodriguez's art uh, just is a transcendent. It's just beautiful. Really. Uh, yeah, wonderful, wonderful. The Defenders is Marvel's non-team. It started with uh, Silver Surfer, Namor, Hulk, and Doctor Strange kind of being forced into a team-up. And then the book tries to hold on to that concept for a very long time. Uh, the issues we're reviewing beginning here are Defenders 15 and 16. They've just brought a couple of mainstay characters in the book. So the, the, the roster's always kind of shifting but at this point, we're meeting Valkyrie, who is uh, a wonderful character that I love, uh, as well as Nighthawk, formerly of the Squadron Supreme, who's the rich white playboy with, you know, mechanized wings. And they're kind of the mainstays here. They're hanging out with Doctor Strange at his house. They've got personal stuff going on. 
Valkyrie wants to leave the team so she can figure out her human side as Barbara Norris. And Nighthawk has a new costume. Uh, and they're hanging out. And Doctor Strange uh, realizes there is a presence in the house. And who is it? And us? <laughs> it's Professor Xavier. <laughs> Fucking Professor X. They're like, someone's watching us. And they're like, no, I don't see anybody. And then Doctor Strange zaps and Professor X's astral presence is revealed. Was that a surprise for you? It was because I did not know we were getting like X-Men. I mean, I knew Magneto was going to be involved if, if, you know, Alpha was going to be there. But I didn't think Xavier was going to play an integral role in the issue. Yeah, it's a surprise. Uh, Xavier uh, says the X-Men are off on a mission. That mission is referenced in Marvel Team-Up number 23, where Iceman and uh, I believe it's Iceman and the Human Torch fight the character Equinox. Uh, but because he can't get the X-Men, he needs the help of the Defenders. The, the <laughs> world, the, 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 it's, it's important because the, I, I kind of think maybe he was just hanging out in the corner and spying. Like he just watched <laughs> people shower sometimes. <laughs> I think the Avengers just didn't pick up his call. <laughs> but he just got caught this time. And uh, they, they agree to go help them. So Doctor Strange, Valkyrie, and Nighthawk are off to help. And uh, Doctor Strange astrally summons uh, Hulk. This is my favorite Hulk. It's the dumb Hulk who calls people funny names and is just like a little kid that throws tantrums. And if you give him attention or a lollipop, he's nice. But if you don't pay attention, he'll fucking smash your face in. Uh, I love the Defenders Hulk uh, a lot. Uh, these characters are really fun together. Uh, do you have thoughts on these early pages? Honestly, I enjoyed them a lot. I love the the inclusion of like the the cauldron of the cosmos. That's something we haven't seen in Doctor Strange's lore for a while, and I thought it was yes. a very unique concept. Uh, I like Val Val Valkyrie's characterization a lot. Like she she is very much leaning into her human side in this issue, uh, which will come into later into play with with Hulk, uh, you know, saving them from the caves. But I I love the the characterization of her. I love Metal Bra Valkyrie. If I ever do a Valkyrie episode on this channel, it will be for sure be with Sarah Century because I know she <laughs> she loves a Valkyrie as much as I do. Uh, okay, so they arrive in the Carlsbad Caverns and they are attacked by a giant one-eyed red monster, but it turns out it's actually an illusion from Mastermind. Mm -hmm. uh, are you a Mastermind fan in us? Um... I, I wouldn't say he's my favorite member of the Brotherhood, honestly, but, you know, he's he's passable. <laughs> he's definitely creepy. Uh, Magneto has reformed the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants. Tell us about this roster. So we have um, the Blob, of course, and Mastermind, and hold on a second, I forgot his name. Was it Unus? Unus the Untouchable, yep. Yes, yes. So it's a, it's a very small roster this time around, not as big as the, the you know, no, no, no usual suspects. Uh, and um, it's also Lorelai. Laura, yes, Lorelai, which is a, is a, it's a, it's a, she's a Thor villain, isn't she? No, no, uh, that is. So the sister of the Enchantress is Lorelai. This is a okay. character. This is a character. Uh, Demanda Martini and I have done a whole Patreon episode on Lorelai. This is a character who was created by Magneto in the as part of the Savage Land Mutates, and she oh. has, she has come back, and her power is to sing, and men listen to her. Basically, <laughs> but that sounds a lot like the Enchantress's sister, though. A little, yeah. I've actually profiled both characters. Uh, they're they're pretty different. Uh, the other Lorelai is like a magic user and like an Asgardian. This character is a swamp woman who sings. <laughs> okay, you know what? I'm, I think what I know what I'm remembering. I'm remembering uh, an episode of Agents of Shield when they include a Lorelai who was basically like a siren and she sings and hypnotizes men. 
the 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 name Lorelei comes from an ancient German myth uh, about a woman who sits on the rocks and distracts people and then they crash. So that that <laughs> name being used it makes a lot of sense. Yeah, <laughs> anyone that has that power set. Uh, so the X Men, or excuse me, Xavier and the Defenders are super distracted by this illusion, and then Magneto just comes out and fucking zaps them once, and then they're like <laughs> unconscious. He's like, "Ha ha! It's the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants." Now Eunice Blob and Mastermind here. Uh, are together here they formed this version of the brotherhood of evil mutants with just the three of them and fought the beast in the amazing adventures series so this is their first time after that we also see them together in x-men the hidden years when john byrne uses these characters as the brotherhood uh mm-hmm. so it's a short-lived version of the brotherhood especially because they get turned into babies at the end of this but, but uh, <laughs> we have seen this team in other places without magneto and lorelei as part of it it's weird seeing magneto without toad Toad kicked Magneto out of the ship and said, fuck you. <laughs> and they haven't they haven't worked together ever since. What? <laughs> uh, so once the defenders are captured, uh, Magneto puts them in this little prison. Uh, and us, if you have the issue there, will you read us his speech to them? All right. He says, you, didn't, you needn't waste your time attempting to free yourselves, you misdirected fools. I assure you. The magnetic field surrounding you is strong enough to restrain even the rampaging Hulk. And Magneto is very rarely wrong. (laughs) Which is ironic. (laughs) If I do say so myself. (laughs) Granted, you and others of your oh-so-noble ilk have often thwarted my carefully laid plans, but this time, I assure you, I cannot fail. This time, we mutants will take our rightful place at the forefront of international affairs, For when the sleeper behind me at last awakens, we mutants will rule your precious world. So Magneto has found this old equipment. He found a book. He translated it. He gathered a team. And now I presume he has used some sort of mutant DNA. And there's this deviant machine. And he's basically growing a giant naked man in it. He's like, maybe it's like sinister cloning tech or like... (laughs) <laughs> Someone getting aged very quickly, but he thinks he's creating the ultimate mutant here. Yes. Uh, and then we get the backstory after that. He monologues for a long time about how he found these caves and escaped from the Avengers. Uh, and then uh, Magneto uh, says, I'm growing my own mutant, the ultimate mutant. And uh, the heroes are able to escape their trap because Xavier focuses all of their thoughts and uses it to like alter the electrical energy of the machine. And the narration bubbles here are actually really funny. He's like, Xavier is able to help everyone who can think, except for the Hulk, because he's so fucking stupid. (laughs) (laughs) It's this this random little slide at Hulk. And so they have escaped. Uh, Alpha is growing in the vat. And now we get the Defenders versus Brotherhood fight. Classic villain (laughs) standoff. Uh, where you get one person fighting someone from the opposite team. Uh, What were your thoughts on this little battle? I mean, I thought it was just hilarious that they would pair off the Hulk with the Blob, because they're just so... It's like immovable force meets immovable object. (laughs) Uh, Tell us about that fight. It's actually cute. (laughs) Well, uh, Hulk, you know, tries to, again, lunge lunge at uh, the Blob, and he says... um, He calls him a flabby man. Rude. <laughs> so Hulk will smash Flabby Man and make you shut up. And of course, Hulk is not successful. 
because his, you know, Blob's body can absorb the impact of anything, even a haymaker like you've got. And then he just walks him across the face and, you know, defeats him in a very quick, <laughs> quick manner. But on the next page, uh, Hulk learns how to defeat the Blob. Uh, how does he do it? So, <laughs> um, in the next page, he figures out that the Blob is rooted to the ground. So he destroys the ground beneath him, making him, you know, jump into the sky. And then he will show. He grabs him, and he's able to like finally best him. Because once ground, once Blob is not connected to the ground, he loses his invulnerability. So yes. Hulk's not so dumb after all, narrator. <laughs> <laughs> we also have Valkyrie versus Eunice the Untouchable. He's just standing there with his field up, and eventually he drops it, and then she's able to you know, knock him aside pretty easily. Uh, then we get Doctor Strange versus Mastermind. Do you want to tell us about that fight? <laughs> all right. So... Um... Mastermind goes against Doctor Strange. He summons this green creature, a monster, and Doctor Strange's powers do not work very well on it. Um, ah, yes, let me see. Okay, so because I mean because they already fought the Cyclops outside the cave, he figures out that it is an illusion, and he takes a chance that he is not wrong, and finally he's able to you know figure out the illusions. Using the same powers against him, he creates illusions of himself and confuses uh, the mastermind. So, because he doesn't know which which one of his uh, illusions to focus his powers upon, and then Doctor Strange is able to blast him finally. I think this is so fucking funny. Mastermind's using illusions, but he's then defeated by illusions. It cracks me up. It's, <laughs> it's my favorite one of these fights, though, is Lorelai versus Professor X and Nighthawk. She sings and puts them under her power. But then Professor X reaches over with just enough will and he flips on Nighthawk's jetpack yes. <laughs> and then Nighthawk slams into Lorelai and she's uh, knocked unconscious. It's, it's just it's just great. Uh, <laughs> so the villains are defeated, except it's too late because Magneto has noticed that uh, uh, Alpha the Ultimate Mutant has been born. And this is where we go to the next issue, Defender 16 with this incredible cover. There's this crazy giant bald alien looking man with the most drag queen eyebrows I may have ever seen in comic <laughs> books, uh, holding a, holding like the scales of justice on which the heroes are standing, but also fighting each other. I love this cover. And it identifies this man as uh, Alpha, the ultimate mutant menace. Uh, what are your thoughts on this cover and us? I, I thought it was stunning. And as you said, like the, the eyeliner is giving me divine. There's like a <laughs> yellow eyeshadow under his eyes as well. It's it's very, very stunning. And I love the composition as well. Um, you know, we see the Hulk battling the blob again and Nighthawk's flying out inside. It's it's beautiful. But what I didn't understand is why Namor is onto the is in the icons on the side of the the cover uh the main the main characters that kind of rotate in and out are they, okay. they call them the big three or the big four sort of like you got like cap thor and iron man in the avengers mm -hmm. the, big, the big three of the defenders are hulk strange and namor with silver surfer sometimes included so okay. uh, namor's in this book a lot he's just not in these two issues well that makes sense uh, we flip the page and we get our first view of alpha fresh out of the uh the machine that birthed him and uh, boy, is he pretty. <laughs> what does Alpha look like in us? Uh, he, well, they refer to him as like a bald, what what, what was it? What did they call him? A bald King Kong or a bald gorilla? 
Uh, because he does really look like a gorilla. He has very long arms that reach like to his knees and lower, and you know a very Neanderthal-looking skull. He's got the Not biggest. A... He's got the biggest lips too. <laughs> he looks like uh, he looks like a giant dumb guy that you would see on like Scooby Doo in the seventies. Yeah, it's like very very caricature wise. He looks like an old, uh, like a character that you would see Bugs Bunny beating up. And the, the character's like, <laughs> oh, duh. you know, like he's got very much that type of... Uh, very true. But he's he's evolving. We see him evolve a couple times in this issue. Uh, Magneto gives a speech about how the Defenders tried to thwart his success. And then he says, behold, the final achievement of a long dead alien race. Behold, Alpha, the ultimate mutant. Behold, the creature who will make me master of the world. Magneto... <laughs> likes to monologue and the heroes could take a moment to assess things you would think it would be the hulk who ruins this but dr strange <laughs> immediately starts attacking alpha like look here's a giant baby i have to shoot it is very much the hero <laughs> uh alpha's like making sounds like he's very upset and uh dr strange says it looks like he's mewling in protest and professor x says in his position doctor wouldn't you do the same now quickly sorcerer renew your assault and they <laughs> uh they quickly just start pummeling at alpha who creates a force field around himself what is alpha experiencing in in this uh this world so shortly after his birth I, you know, poor thing. He just was, he was just fresh out of the womb and he's already being attacked by five creatures. Um, but, you know, it's it's very impressive that he, with his limited capacity at this point, because he just, you know, was birthed, he's able to protect himself and uh, repel their attacks very successfully in very unique ways as well. He's a big, dumb, powerful baby. Yep. Uh, Magneto immediately has designs on this character. Uh, again, he wants to mutants for mutants to conquer the world. So uh, he orders uh, Alpha to teleport the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants away. And as he yep. does that, he collapses the entire cavern on the heroes, uh, leaving them for dead, which is actually a pretty, pretty intense uh, plot here. And the heroes have to hack their way out of the mountain in order to survive. Uh, talk, talk to me about this scene at us. I thought it was funny that Doctor Strange was like, oh, well, I'm not powerful enough to teleport all of us out of here, <laughs> which, you know, it's just, it's just a cave. You could travel to alternate dimensions and realities in the astral plane, but you can't, you know, whip up a, a, a spell portal. He's tired. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, Valkyrie is the first to be like, okay, I'm just gonna, you know, use my sword and, and hack and slash my way out of this cave. And they all join in as well. Finally, reaching, seeing the, you know, there's a, a spark of light, and that makes makes them aware that they're close to the exit. Um, but the cave starts to fall down, and Nighthawk is, you know, wheeling Charles Xavier out of the cave when it starts to collapse. So the Hulk sacrifices himself in a way to hold it together. And Aww. outside the cave, yeah, outside the cave is a moment that I really liked. It was like Valkyrie got very emotional. She's like, no, it can't be. Not the Hulk, not him. And she starts to cry. And I thought that was very sweet. Yeah. Um, and then he's of course, okay. He, he smashes his way out. Yeah, he smashes his way out. He's like, you know, stupid rocks tried to smash Hulk. Hulk smashed back. <laughs> uh, so then we get this intense three panels of Charles Xavier using his powers to scan the entire country until he locates Magneto. And it's like his his head floating in like astral energy. 
And then it focuses <laughs> in and as it zooms in closer, you see Magneto reflected in his own eye, which is lovely. Uh, and Magneto has teleported the Brotherhood and Alpha, well, been teleported to the United Nations. And mm-hmm. he is monologuing all the way in as he tosses the guards around. He is ready for his day. He then storms into the General Assembly. And I, I actually really loved this speech for him. Again, this is his second time. He goes, for far I just, too- wait. Oh, so, sorry, I just want to make a comment. One of the United Nations members, when they first arrive, says, by the eyes of Allah, which is so funny to me because I have never heard that expression before. <laughs> Like, what? I tried to, like, translate it into Arabic. I'm like, we would never say that. (laughs) That makes zero sense. (laughs) So Magneto says, For far too long, we who are homo superior have lived in the shadow of homo sapiens. When we are, excuse me, when our very designation proclaims we are your betters. But never again shall we suffer such indignity. Never again after today. We have come here to demand that, it says what, but it means that. Oh, no, no, excuse me. Cut that out. We have come here to demand what you sniveling, simpering humans have for so many years denied us. We have come to demand our birthright. We want the world and we want it now. What are your thoughts on this speech? I think he's got a point, you know. (laughs) I'm very much with uh, the notion of homo superiors being granted equal rights. But, you know, of course, Magneto has to take it a step too far, as always. He's so extra in that way. Um... But, you know, his demands never changed. And, uh, I, you know, I love consistency in his character. Yes, yes, he's very angry. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, I want to note that the lettering on the third panel here is just gorgeous. I love the way that they, you know, you know, you know, amplified the world and now. And it looks kind of like scratchy and handwritten. It's beautiful. Yeah, it actually is really, really cool. Uh, Magneto orders Alpha, whose powers are increasing. And you slowly see him starting to settle into a more human-looking form. He's not so dumb now. Yeah, uh, and he starts to actually make out words. Yeah, yeah. And you're seeing him evolve as the issue goes, basically. He has Alpha uh, tear the entire United Nations off of the ground and then levitate it up into the air a half mile. So this character is extraordinarily powerful. It's got a very, like, Nate Gray energy to him in that way, like, unrestrained power. He's also capable of kind of rudimentary speech now. He's, uh, mm-hmm. help you, Alpha helps you. Uh, so he's <laughs> learning about his world and still kind of following Magneto's orders as the uh, defenders arrive. And uh, they have to fly up to this building in the sky in order to fight the heroes. And it's really cute, actually. Dr. Strange... Uh, Valkyrie can go on her flying horse, Nighthawk can fly. So Doctor Strange has his amulet uh, carrying the Hulk and Professor X in a bubble as they fly across the country, which just cracks me <laughs> up because they flew all the way from New Mexico to New York like that. <laughs> it just makes me laugh. <laughs> and it looks like, you know, uh, the Hulk is just wheeling Professor Xavier around, which is, again, very funny because he apparently has zero self control. Right. And they're in a glowing bubble in the sky, like, just <laughs> hanging out. It cracks me up. Uh, So once they arrive, Magneto orders Alpha to destroy them. And Alpha's like, destroy them? Why? And Magneto says, you gargantuan dolt, because your (laughs) master has commanded it. That's why. Uh, And so what does Alpha do? So Alpha summons, uh, like, these rock statues that kind of look like, well, really, they don't look like anything. They look like versions of him before he evolved, in a way. Sure. Uh, so the, these rock men, they're made of concrete that was from the the land that they, they elevated into the ground. And the Avengers have to, the defend, defenders have to fight them off 
Of course, the Hulk makes quick way of them, and Valkyrie helps out, of course. So does Nighthawk and Doctor Strange. And once they have made, you know, they made off with them, they enter into the United Nations building. And uh, Magneto has pissed their back again, and he orders Alpha once again to obliterate them. Yes. Alpha and, says, you know, Alpha Alpha says no, here, Magneto. Yeah, sorry. Alpha here looks, uh, looks a lot like Charles Xavier with the yes. eyebrow. <laughs> it's like a shirtless <laughs> Xavier. <laughs> yes. Uh, but Alpha says, no, Magneto, I will not take another's life. Why should I? He's evolving very quickly. Uh, and Magneto says, it, you know, unless you do this, I will destroy you. Do you, I make myself clear. And then the heroes are running at them. And Alpha is starting to apologize for having to fight back against them. He turns the Hulk into stone and says, forgive me. But Magneto says you are evil and evil must not be permitted to go unchecked. Uh, and then uh, and then he defeats the other heroes. Uh, <laughs> do you want to talk about how he defeats Nighthawk and Valkyrie? <laughs> so he basically turns Nighthawk and makes him start spinning around in a way that he can't see anymore. And he's blacking out, uh, which, you know, this panel is really gorgeous. The way that they visualized it, I like it a lot. It's like a spiral in a sense. Uh, as for Valkyrie, he turns her legs into putty. <laughs> <laughs> She's like, ah! <laughs> and then his head is growing. He's evolving into, uh, again, he looks like Xavier a lot for a minute, but like with a giant head. It kind of reminds me of, there was a really huge headed Xavier that fought, was it like Dazzler's team of extreme X-Men? There was like, he kind of looks like the leader from uh, the Hulk, like with the giant he does. Him, but it looks like Xavier with a giant head. That's, that's yeah. what this character looks like. Uh, and uh, Xavier challenges Alpha to question things a little bit. Like Magneto told you that we're evil, but justice uh, can seem evil when described by someone evil. So I challenge you to look back at Magneto and Alpha's like, oh, this is intriguing. And I perceive sincerity in your words. There is duplicity here. So uh, uh, this giant image then of Alpha with the, the scales, uh, this is a beautiful page and it gave me some Ethros energy, if I'm honest. Uh, tell, me, tell me about this page. I love it. It's a, it's, a, it's a stunning page. It's very 1970s cosmic Marvel style. It gives me, you know, Jim Starlin vibes. Uh, Alpha is, you know, in space, kind of. He's grabbing uh, the scales of justice. And on each side, there is the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants and the Defenders. And be behind him, there's like this levitating, giant, you know, blown up version of his head. And he begins weighing the worth of one life against another, the group against the other, until he reaches his judgment. It's, uh, I, I'm actually going to read this. The ultimate mutant turns then peering somberly at the opposing groups of godly costumed forms before him, his deep-set eyes burning through their flesh, cutting cleanly to their very souls. And he reads those souls as one might read a ledger, studying the credits and debits of, this, of the life each has inscribed there, weighing the worth of one life against another life, the worth of one group against the other group, until judgment is reached. I actually think that's so great. <laughs> Beautiful. Uh, and uh, what, what did he decide? <laughs> well, of course, he decides that Magneto is lying and he's a bad person, um, which, you know, they they finally realize that Mastermind realizes that he's going to turn against them and asks Magneto to handle it. 
And AlphaGo and Magneto, of course, says, of course I lied to you, but I did it for your own good because you were born an emotional infant and you couldn't be expected to understand the reasons for our actions or the vicious persecution that led to them. Which again, he has got a point. <laughs> yeah. Again, especially knowing the history Claremont attached to this character. Yes, basically. Uh, um, keep, keep reading Magneto's next bubble there. Okay. Regardless of the deception, Alpha, you are still a mutant, a mutant just like me. You must stand with us, with the others of your kind. It's the only hope we have. And Alpha responds, but you are wrong, Magneto. I am not of your kind. I am not just like you. You and your companions are little more than a band of selfish children. Arrogant, untrustworthy, determined to take what you desire rather than earn it. And like children, you must be made to learn from such mistakes, for you must not be permitted to continue your mad quest for power. Holy shit! <laughs> Alpha just read Magneto for filth. <laughs> I I love this idea of he has evolved past this now, and he understands, even though it's a very truncated adolescence. Uh, I think you and I have stories of believing one thing about society after our birth and learning to untangle those things that's and leave sure. them behind. I think that's a, a huge part of our stories. And weirdly, there's some resonance here. Uh, for Alpha as he has gone through this in a very short period of time. Uh, what are your thoughts there? I, you know, I, I love his growth. I love that he was able to look past what he was made for, basically, and, you know, stand against what he believes, stand against what he believes to be wrong. And I think it's a, it's a beautiful evolution. That's why I was like very intrigued by his character because I did not expect uh, a villain to be introduced in this manner. Like this was his first appearance, technically, um he was set up to be this ultimate menace but he quickly realized what kind of person he wants to be and he you know evolved beyond that there's an element to this story of well as well of like magneto finding the magic lamp rubbing it making a wish but then it ends up biting him in the ass in the end right <laughs> like we have a lot of those kind of stories where he wished for supremacy and now he's literally been reduced to infancy there's a there's a poetic nature to these two issues that i really enjoy there as well that's uh, true Alpha turns back to the defenders and he says, it's over humans. Magneto and his followers will trouble you no longer. I deeply apologize if my actions this day have inconvenienced you. And uh, Strange <laughs> says, we accept your apology, uh, uh, but I can't speak for the United Nations. And he says, I fully, or I understand fully, but there is no need for the innocent to suffer. Permit me to make amends. And he puts the United Nations back where it came from. Uh, it is done. Everything is as it was before our arrival. And the memory of these past few hours has been erased from the minds of men. So only the heroes are left to remember this event at all or that Alpha even exists. Mm -hmm. uh, he says, nothing is the worse for our having been here. Uh, they said, what are you going to do now? And he says, I have given that matter much thought, Dr. Strange, and I have made my decision at last. Power, or excuse me, with each discharge of power, my evolution has progressed with incredible alacrity until I have become far more than your fellow homo sapiens could begin to comprehend. There's no longer any place for me upon this pale green planet. Perhaps there never was. Thus, I go to seek my destiny elsewhere, for the universe is vast, and I have more than enough, excuse me, and I have more than enough time. But some night, humans, when you look to the star-flecked heavens, I pray you think of me. Uh, tell me or tell us about Alpha's appearance as he ends here. And what are your thoughts on this character's journey? So, uh, you know, after he used his powers to bring down uh, the United Nations back to the planet and erase their memories, he fully looks like a character out of X-Files. Like, 
the the enlarged skull is very unnatural looking and it reminds me a lot of like Owatu really and the watchers in a sense but it's more um he's got more of a slim jaw <laughs> i would say uh you know when i was reading the the quasar issue the quasar issues i actually was looking for him in the pages and i was like wait is this him no it's wait it's just another watcher <laughs> but as for his journey I thought it was very compelling. I thought it was beautifully written. He obviously has shown a lot of growth in a very short amount of time. And this is a character I wish would have stuck around a lot longer because I would have loved to see his evolution. You know, there's so many directions you could go with this character. If he is, for example, in space, was forced to use his powers a lot or expend his abilities and evolve, you know, the the, the question could be asked, what, what would he evolve to at the end? You know, where, where could this go? And I would say, it, I, I think it would go beyond the physical confines of his body. And he would just, you know, become an entity of some sorts. And uh, the idea as well as I've got to conserve my power so that I don't keep evolving. I want to enjoy existence now for a time. Mm -hmm. uh, it's really interesting and, and, and frankly, really beautiful. So he's off in space and the defenders turn back and realize that Magneto and his brotherhood have literally been turned into babies. It's, this is one <laughs> of my favorite panels in all of comics history is these the image of, of Magneto, Eunice, Mastermind, Blob, and Lorelei uh, shrunk down to little babies. They're all sobbing their fucking eyes out and they're still like in their like baggy grown-up costumes uh, <laughs> the while they're at the feet of ears. What, what was that? And the huge helmets. Yeah, on, on Magneto's head. It's so fucking cute. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> uh they got there they they were literally reduced to children it's uh there's something so fantastic uh we're gonna talk about the the quasar issues after this but uh tell me your thoughts after uh reading these two issues of defenders you know i i th i felt like i picked a really good character for us to explore in this episode honestly i was like oh thank god it's a, it's a really good issue not one that i would just like read and hate um i think it was you know as, a, as an issue of Defenders that I have never been, you know, exposed to before, I think it's a great, uh, you know, great issue, great story. The art is gorgeous. The lettering, it's it doesn't suffer any of the faults that I feel like a lot of the 70s issues deals with, of like being kind of clunky and slow paced. Uh, instead, I found this like very refreshing and very, you know, easily digestible. It's wonderful. I love these two issues. Uh, and I think it's a really powerful, every character gets some key moments. They use yeah. everybody. Uh, and it's a really lovely story done in two parts. Uh, I, I was really thrilled to reread this. And as we're talking about it, I'm learning more of the themes that I didn't realize were there. So this is fun. Uh, really thing, um, you know, Alpha kind of put Magneto through something that he was exposed to, you know, like he was bo born into this world that he did not ask for. And he was, you know, unaware, un, you know, unevolved. And he kind of did the exact same thing to Magneto and just made him into an infant. Uh, it's, uh, it's really that regression. It's very Benjamin Button. <laughs> <laughs> One man grew old and the other was reduced to a baby. Kind of, it's yeah. Fantastic. I love that. I didn't think of that duality either. Uh, my ultimate number one hero at Marvel Comics is uh, Mark Grenwald. Uh, Mark is the founder of the original handbooks. We've talked about him on my show a lot. We will likely do so more in the future. Uh, Mark worked at Marvel for many years. He died very young in his 40s, uh, in the in the mid-90s. Uh, but he's the guy that was the encyclopedia for Marvel. He's the one that made the database. So be, me being the handbook guy, this guy is my ultimate. 
He wrote Captain America for many years. Uh, the, the comic he's known most for outside of that is Squadron Supreme. Uh, on top of that, there's another character he loved called Quasar. Uh, are you familiar with Quasar? I am familiar with Avril's iteration of the character. Avril Kincaid is the newer lesbian version of this character. Yes, I love her. <laughs> uh, but uh, I'm not familiar with the original character at all. I just know that he passed away early on. Uh, no, he's around, and he's still around. But he's a character that can die and come back, uh, like a lot of them. Quasar is a guy named Wendell Vaughn, uh, who is a very earnest uh, American who inherits the Negabands and goes on uh, uh, a long adventure across space. His title lasts, I think, for 60 issues. Uh, he's been a member of the Avengers. He's also part of some cosmic stories sometimes. Uh, he has cosmic awareness, which is like a general omnipotence about the universe. And he serves as a cosmic power for different beings sometimes. Uh, he's a really interesting character, and he goes through some interesting trials. Uh, he's closely associated with the Star Brand. Uh, so we're going to read in Quasar 14 and 15, uh, and we're going to cover this quickly because Alpha is only a brief part of it. But Quasar is off uh, on a space adventure, and Mark Gruenwald loved themes. Uh, he did an arc in Captain America where he brings all of Marvel's female supervillains together. Uh, he wow. does another one where it's all werewolf characters. Uh, like, he loves a theme. And in this story, we get Quasar and the Squadron Supreme off in space, and they come across the Stranger's Cosmic Planet, on mm -hmm. which the Stranger has captured about 40 different Marvel characters that had all just kind of disappeared and never been used again. And so it's 1990, and uh, and Grenwald brought a bunch of these characters together on the Stranger's Lab World, where they're being treated like specimens in like a little zoo that he keeps privately. And so there's a bunch of really random characters who appear in this two-issue arc who kind of have like, oh, they showed up one time and then never again, and then they showed up here and then never again. And Alpha is one of those here. He was only in that Defenders arc. He comes back as one of this large group of random characters, and then we've never seen him again after that. Uh, so as I as I get that far, Anas, what are your thoughts on uh, on the presentation of this story? Um, I thought it was, you know, for a cosmic book in the, in the 70s, I thought it was very well done. I love the incorporation of the Watchers. I love that they brought Squadron, Squadron Supreme. And I wanted to ask about a particular character that showed up among the the victims of the stranger's abduction um, in the, one of the splash pages where there's like a bunch of all, of all of them appear and he calls them forward to, Oh, sorry, the overmind. He calls them forward to, you know, attack. Is that, uh, are you, are you seeing the page that I'm looking at? Are you familiar uh, with it? I got to turn there, but keep going. Okay. There's a character that looks a lot like the grim reaper. So the stranger has gathered a bunch of random characters. You'll have to look some of these up on your own. You can find them on Marvel Wiki or probably on the Marvel Appendix, all detailed. But these are very obscure characters. And as, uh, as I read this list, tell me if you've actually heard of any of these characters before. <laughs> some of them are slightly more familiar. And there's one that will surprise our listeners. So we've got the Ethicals. We've got Jakar, Ego Prime, Wood God... Uh, the Four Horsemen, and these are not uh, Apocalypse's Four Horsemen. They're different characters. Uh, Shenga, Tricon, 
Uh, Alpha is there, as well as a character named the Futurist that we'll talk about. Uh, there's Pillai, the Power Platoon, Fusion, Mercurio, Starlight, and the Presence. Uh, the Presence, by the way, is the father of Vanguard and Dark Star of, uh, of the Soviets, uh, the Supreme Soviets of the Winter Guard. Uh, Dragonfly is here. Are you familiar with the character Dragonfly? I am not. She is uh, one of Count Nefaria's Animen that fights the X-Men early on in the same issue where Thunderbird dies. Oh. Uh, She's here. There's the captive Starman, Stardust. Uh, uh, The Bi-Beast, who is a great, (laughs) a great villain. Uh, We also have Rocket Raccoon here. That was Uh, shocking to me. Yeah, as well as Jack of Hearts. And the big one that is here that will surprise people is Krakoa. At the end of Giant Size X-Men number one, Krakoa gets tossed into space by Polaris and the stranger found him. Wow. <laughs> so okay. what, are you, what are your thoughts on this crazy list? It is, is it, it's a wild list. Uh, out of the, all, everyone that you mentioned, I only recognize Krakoa, of course, and Rocket and Alpha. The rest of them, can't, some of them, their designs look familiar to me, but I can't place them really. Uh, Rocket Raccoon prior to this had shown up in the uh, the Hulk uh, where he gets tossed into a bunch of dimensions and he meets these like cartoon characters. Uh, so this is before our current interpretation of Rocket. This is back in his like Saturday morning cartoon era. <laughs> oh, okay. Before the wildly violent and cussing all the time Rocket. Yes, that comes uh, that comes later during uh, the Annihilation event, which is uh, <laughs> a while in the future. Okay, so in these issues, we basically only get a little bit... Oh, we, we've got to talk about The Stranger. Uh, are you familiar with The Stranger? Again, first, first, first encounter. Stranger is a cosmic Marvel villain. He's basically like a 10-foot-tall old man in space. Uh, he first shows up in X-Men number 11, and he's the guy that disbanded the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants the first time. He turned Mastermind into stone, and he took Magneto and Toad back with him to his home planet. Do you remember that at all? I do not. That's so weird. <laughs> yeah, it's part of the original uh, Brotherhood storylines. It's a Stan and Jack character. Uh, he's I've also... definitely read that issue, but I just can't remember. Yeah, he's a, he's an old man in a suit, basically. It's funny. Uh, he's also the major villain in several different uh, key storylines, uh, and he's integra- integrally connected to the X-Men at times. Uh, mm-hmm. Maybe the most famous story is Fabian Nicieza's X-Men Forever, where he's the villain there, and he has designs for like mutant DNA, and uh, he's a character that shows up quite often. He's a big character, and I'll give him some more attention on my show in the future, uh, but he's a cosmic-level uh, villain who debuts in X-Men, and then he shows up here as the guy collecting all the specimens. Uh, any thoughts on that? It's very interesting. I'm going to have to look him up more because I do like his uh, his design a lot. And I would love to learn more about his character. Yeah, he's a uh, he. A lot of people confuse him with the collector who's a little more well-known. But yeah, he's a, he's a bizarre villain. Uh, ultimately, all we need to know... Uh, it, well, do you want to tell us what happens with Alpha and his friend the Futurist here? <laughs> um... <laughs> it was a very short uh, appearance, really. Yeah, they're they like are... in two panels. Yeah, <laughs> they are part of of the group of you know creatures and and characters that he assembled and enslaved to experiment upon, and you know with the battle that that, that ensues with Quasar and the Squadron Supreme, they are liberated and they escape into space together. 
Yeah, that's really all that happens. They choose not to get involved in the conflict. And he's hanging out with this guy that's basically his little twin. It's a <laughs> it's a character named the Futurist. And the Futurist, much like Alpha, has only shown up once before this. Uh, he debuts in Fantastic Four number 215. He's a man named Randolph James, who is an old ally of Reed Richards. And the short version of this story is he gets wounded and tosses himself into an evolution accelerator in order to save his own life and ends mm -hmm. up as this like cosmic being with an elongated forehead and like golden robes. And he flies off into space to find himself. Like it's a very similar story to Alpha's in a weird way. And the fact that Mark Grenwald paired these characters together and they're like, hey, we look the same. Let's go explore space together. <laughs> and they're obviously very fond of each other because the futurist refers to him as my dear alpha. Do you know, uh, do you know, like certain gay men are only attracted to other gay men that look like them? <laughs> yeah, they're called boyfriend twins. That's the term. <laughs> these two are boyfriend <laughs> twins. They're like, oh, my God, we understand each other. We both have giant brains and we look the same. Let's go fly off and be space boyfriends together. <laughs> space boyfriend twins adventures. <laughs> I would read that. that. <laughs> and that is Alpha. That's, uh, that. I mean, we don't need to talk more about the Quasar story, although there are fun, some fun moments in it. And I hope the Krakoa connection surprises people. But uh, but yeah, now Alpha and the Futurist have not shown up in 33 years. And we just assume that he's off with his space boyfriend having adventures, uh, just waiting to run into Wiccan and Hulkling one day. <laughs> I, I honestly, I, I'm a huge fan of this character now. And I'm going to be fighting. I'm going to be begging some X-Men writers to bring them back. Yeah, there's something very magical about this character who could be so stupid, but I I really am genuinely uh, kind of charged up about him after we've talked about him for this time. <laughs> Same. He's so cute. Uh, as we're wrapping up, Anas, do you have any final thoughts on Alpha the Ultimate Mutant? Uh, I don't know. I think, you know, it's shocking to me that there are so many characters that have been obscured for so long that we have, you know, the, the the casual Marvel reader may not have encountered before. And it's nice to find gems like this, you know, and I'm now I'm like wanting to dig more and find more of these characters that I could just connect to and like so much, but I feel bad that they haven't gotten their spotlight in a, in a, in a more significant way in the in current times. Two things, uh, well, one thing, when I'm doing these characters on this channel and delving in on characters like Grotesque, or Kukulkan, or just, you know, these random, uh, the changeling. Like, I leave every one of these episodes thinking about the potential of these characters. But I'm also surprised at the deep connections they have to X-Men lore. So with Alpha, who literally has appeared four times, we found a Krakoa connection and a Stranger connection. But on mm -hmm. the Earth, this story, he's the guy that turned Magneto into the baby. His connection yeah. to the deviant technology, I think he has a kinship with Professor X in a weird way here. Uh, he's also connected to the other characters that he babified, right? Uh, so uh, there's some there's some connections here that would be really interesting if he were brought back in like a Cy Spurrier comic book. Like I think yes. it'd be, I think it would just be just a fabulous exploration of him. You know, he could have like if given enough spotlight and like, given enough of opportunity, I think he would make a great council member. Oh, fantastic! I, <laughs> I, it would be weird to see him elevated to that level. God. <laughs> uh, that would be a very prominent position for him. It was like uh, pops up from space, like, "Hey, I'm here. Hey, Krakoa, nice to meet. Nice, nice to see you again." <laughs> hey, Krakoa, remember that time we were in space together? I'm gonna rule this <laughs> island now. <laughs> <laughs>
And can you imagine? Uh, well, I mean, Magneto's dead in the comics right now, but assuming he was alive, Magneto being like, "Oh man, I haven't thought about you for a while. <laughs> Remember that time you put me in diapers?" <laughs> <laughs> crazy uh and this has been an absolute delight hanging out with you today thank you for your time and just uh just hanging out with me this has been a blast um i know you have some major changes happening in your life right now uh we know each other a little bit personally i also know you have a huge uh amount of stuff going on professionally but i'm so looking forward to seeing what happens next for you my friend i'm glad to know you Thank you so much. I feel exactly the same way. Honestly, this is the, probably the most fun show I, I ever get to be, a, you know, to be on. And every time you suggest it, I'm like, hell yes. Like sign me up as soon as possible. I just love <laughs> the show so much. I wish you were on like every month because you're so <laughs> fun. You're in my, one of my top guests uh, that I enjoy hanging out with, but I also feel like we're friends, which is always a nice thing too. Um, That's true. As we are wrapping up, my friend, uh, thank you. I will forever associate this character with you now, which is a wonderful <laughs> thing. Uh, where can people find you online? And what would you like to plug? Uh, recognizing we're going to put this out on the Patreon channel on April 5th. Okay, so my, I'm over on Twitter and Instagram at NS underscore Abdulhaq, which is my first name and surname. And you can find me at your local comic book shop if you go there and ask them for Etheris. It is still available for reorders. A lot of shops have wildly sold out of their copies which is you know absurd to me that we're actually selling out but if you go to your local comic book shop and ask them to reorder there's still a chance of getting a second printing of etheris so please make sure to do that i hope you like it i it, we put a lot of heart and soul into this book and it means so much to me and yeah thank you uh etheris is wonderful please buy it it's a wonderful experience but also it's just it's good to support creators uh, who are trying to make it, especially people that you care about. Uh, so uh, we've also had Seth Martell on this show. He just released his book, uh, The Mayor, which is now in shops as well. So go down and pick up a copy of both of them. They're wonderful. And I really enjoy uh, both of them. Uh, for Grey Malkin Lane, I keep my own social media private because I've got kiddos, but you can find me, Grey Malkin Lane, uh, at Grey Malkin PP Like Podcast on Twitter or Grey Malkin underscore Lane on Instagram. Uh, we had to switch the order around a little bit. So next week, even though I announced it last time, uh, our episode is going to be on Professor Power with J.M. DeMatteis. Uh, so he got ill and I had to reschedule at the last moment. So Anas, thank you for coming to, <laughs> to hang out with me on short notice. Um, on, the main, on the main channel, we are going to be finishing up the three-part Angel story written by Jerry Siegel in the 1970s. Uh, so watch out for those episodes with Lenore Zan and Stuart Moore. Uh, they're both so much fun. I also just finished recording the one after that, which is on Cable Minus One with the incredible Charlie Jane Anders. Uh, and it's a wonderful and inspiring episode as well. Uh, we've got great content coming up and we're just about to start uh, X-Men The Hidden Years. Uh, and also, I also have on my show coming out soon. <laughs> I'm having three professional drag queens come on. And we're oh going to do, do a fashion photo review of the 1960s X-Men costumes. I'm so I excited. freaking love that. <laughs> <laughs> I can't wait. We're getting ready to record and I just put together the whole costume gallery and God, are there some bad costumes. <laughs> <laughs> so it'll be everything from the green dress to the original black and yellows to, uh, you know, Toad's Court Jester costume and everything in between. It's going to be oh, fun. God. That, that one is a is a boot, not a toot at all. <laughs> it's going to be wonderful. Uh, okay, my friend, it's so fun hanging out with you and us. Thank you. And thanks, everyone, for listening. We will see you back here next time on Grey Mountain Lane's Patreon channel.